Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Hey, how many of you know some things are just better together? Some things are just better together. Um, Peanut butter and... Jelly, y'all, y'all know, peanut butter and jelly, you just can't beat a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Strawberry jelly, for those of you that are wanting to know um, which, which one, Pastor Sean disagrees, I heard from the front row. Great, okay, whatever. Yeah, see if you can follow along. Spaghetti and meatballs, you, just, you know this. Some things are just better to get, I don't know anybody that sits down and eats just meatballs. You gotta have the spaghetti and the sauce with it. Here's one for you, chips and... Chips and dip, chips and salsa, y'all, y'all got this. There's even food that goes better with certain drinks, right? There just is. Oreos and milk, right? Kayla got on to me the other day. She bought some Oreos. Apparently, she can't do that often in our house because we tear through them. They come in this really cool blue package. There's three rows. How many of you are familiar with how? I did not know that there wasn't just three servings in a package. Uh, I thought that one row was a serving, and um, so yeah, y'all, y'all want to know why I run so often. That's it, so I can eat like that. Oreos and milk, the drink that just goes good. You think about one, it comes to the other. Here's one, boiled crawfish, and be careful, don't say it. We're in church. I know you were about to say sweet tea um, or water, but some things just go better together, don't they? What about some unlikely pairings? Have you ever thought about, have you heard these things that seem like they don't make sense? You put them together and they're better than that? Um, Pineapple on pizza. Yeah, Mr. Jack, is that a pretty common thing? Pineapple on on pizza, I'll let you decide. Uh, Here's a good one, apple pie and cheddar cheese. Ooh, now I split the room. I split the room. Don't knock it till you try it. I'm just saying. Don't, don't knock it. Uh, here's, here's one that'll get you. Cream cheese and flaming Hot Cheetos. Somebody said fire. The things you learn at Our Savior's Church, I'm telling you. you you're not, you thought you were coming to hear the word of God. I'm, I'm making you all hungry right before, before that. Um, not just food, though. I do know... Some people pairings, two unlikely people that you'd never expect um, to be better together. I know Gerard, where you at, Gerard? I know you're up in the balcony somewhere. Gerard, I know you can't see him. Stand, come, t- come down to the end real quick. I want y'all to see Gerard. If you have not met Gerard, he's, he's very similar in size to me. Yeah. So you, you may not know this, but he has a partner in crime. Pastor Sean? Hey, now I know you think that these two don't have a lot in common, but they're following suit to some very, very important people. Um, we have, yeah. The, these, these, which, Pastor Sean, we all know which one you are. We, we do, we, we, we do. Twins, twins, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito. We're talking, thank you guys very much. We're talking about these unlikely pairings. 
Things that you think would be separate and have no reason to be together, but once you put them together, they're better than if they were alone. I'm going to talk about that today. The, the resulting pair is far better than any of the parts alone. For the last several weeks, we've been talking in and out of the book of Acts um, when I've been sharing with you guys. And we've been, the book of Acts has been amazing. It, it, it's, it's been very descriptive of the growth of the early church. Um, we've talked about a common language. We've talked about common unity. We've talked about this visible generosity that we see in the books of Acts in this early church. It was so countercultural, it began to take the world by storm. And we've seen how the New Testament church was born, and it began to confront these devils of pride, poverty, and prejudice head on. Now, listen to me, church. There is no room for pride, poverty, and prejudice in this church. There's not. And when what God is doing in here, as Isaac said earlier, starts to make its way out there to our community, how many of you know there'll be no room for pride, poverty, and prejudice out in our community as well? And everything we read about in this new movement of Christianity, in this new church that began in the book of Acts, it serves a twofold purpose. One, it's descriptive of the early church. In other words, how it was. And then it's also to be prescriptive of our church today, in other words, how it's supposed to be. When you read the book of Acts, it's supposed to be, this is how it was, and this is how it should be. You can't just read these things in the book of Acts and be like, well, that was good for them, but it doesn't apply to us today. Are you following me, church? We read this, it's supposed to help us know what things we're supposed to see when we come to church. You'll read the book of Acts, and you'll see that people were born again. We should see that in our churches, should we not? You see that families were restored. We should see families in our churches restored. The sick and the diseased were healed. People were baptized spontaneously. We baptized 21 people just a few weekends ago. How incredible was that? I got to talk to a few people that thought they were coming to church dressed in their Sunday best that ended up getting wet for Jesus and uh, it, was, it was amazing. People gave to support the ministry and each other. In this room are some of the most generous people you know. They really are, it's incredible. I've seen churches in our church and even in the book of Acts where addictions and oppressions were broken. Disciples were made. We read this in the book of Acts, we should see this in our church today. And I want to show you a single chapter in the book of Acts today. It's one of my favorite in the entire book. Um, And it's an unlikely pairing in an unlikely place that I believe is not only descriptive of that early church, but it's prescriptive of our church today. Are y'all ready? Y'all ready to buckle in, hear God's word? Um, I'm hoping he speaks to you the same way he spoke to me as he was unpacking this for me. Let me give you some context for Acts chapter 16 before we dig in. The apostle Paul was probably the single greatest enemy to the church um, when it first started. He wasn't the apostle Paul, he was actually Saul of Tarsus. And he was a Pharisee among Pharisees, a leader among leaders. He was this big, important religious guy, they called him a zealot, who would go out and he was doing things to Christians that you, we can't even speak of. Um, he was going out and confronting them, throwing them in prison. He had a front row seat to the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr who gave his life because he believed in Jesus. And you have this Apostle Paul guy who would, dr- who would walk around. I was about to say drive. They didn't have cars. He would go around 
from place to place all over the region trying to, trying to punish Christians for believing in Jesus. And on one such trip, he has this encounter. God speaks to him. A blinding light knocks him off his horse. He's blinded and has this personal revelation with Jesus. And not only does it change his life forever, it changes the entire world and the entire course of history. So now you have this guy who used to be Saul of Tarsus, who is now the Apostle Paul, and instead of going around finding Christians to punish, he's going around the whole region finding people to make disciples, and he's helping them. He's bringing people to Jesus where he used to be punishing them for Jesus, and that's where we find ourselves in this story. The Apostle Paul, a young man named Timothy that he's leading, that he's discipling, another ministry partner named Silas, and some theologians believe Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, are all together, and they're on this trip, and they're going out to make disciples. And we're gonna pick up this story um, right here in Acts chapter 16. And this, this neat thing here that, that I want you to see, they're, they're going to this city, this region in northern Greece. It's an area called Macedonia. And there's this city there named Philippi. Now, Philippi is very much a hub city. It's kind of a, there's a lot going on. It's on a major trade route. And there's a lot of things happening. It's a Greek city that is a Roman colony. Y'all get the difference? Greek people occupied by Roman influence, and here comes the Apostle Paul and some of these others. It's a very unlikely city that they're doing. Many people called it a little Rome of the day back there. So can I just tell you for a second how much I love the Word of God? If you just read the Word of God like it's some kind of random story, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. The gospel, this, this book, tells a story about God's plan for a people who were far away from him. Did you ever have a season in your life where you were far away from God? It tells us of a man named Jesus, God's son who came and who died for our sins the same way that scripture said that he would and he was buried and resurrected and then went about revealing himself to people, not just his closest followers, but the people who were far from him. And I don't know about you, but I had a season in my life where Jesus revealed himself to me in a powerful way and as I read this book, I see that truth of God unfold, not just for the people I read about, but for my own life as well. Can we do that today? Can we read some scripture today and and let it permeate us, our story, instead of just this story? See, Acts 16 isn't just three separate stories of three separate people, and if you miss it that way, you're gonna miss the whole point of the message. Acts 16, verse 11 through 15, let's dig in. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Semithrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, remember her name, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And look at this, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, 
Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. That's a great phrase. She prevailed upon us. It means she won the argument. Any married men in here? You know what I'm talking about. She prevailed upon you. She won. This is the first person in our story of unlikely pairings. And I think it's so fascinating. The very first Christian in all of Europe was not just a woman, though she was. She was this wealthy fashionista, if you will. She, she leads her family to the Lord. They all get baptized and they invite Paul to come and stay with them at her house. But don't miss what scripture tells us, how she became a follower of Jesus. The Bible says that she knew God and regularly went to a place of prayer. But as Paul reasoned and spoke to her intellect, God opened her spiritual eyes to be born again. Listen, she was in a place that she regularly went, but for the first time, God allowed her to see the kingdom of heaven and her need for a savior. Can I say, I pray that every Sunday morning when I get here, knowing that there would be people that come here. It may be the same place you come every single week, but I pray today is the Sunday where God opens your eyes to see your need for a savior. You may know God, but if Jesus isn't Lord and savior of your life, you're gonna miss the kingdom of heaven. Just know I prayed for you today. So here we have Lydia. Look at what she is. Lydia is an entrepreneurial, educated, well-to-do businesswoman, born again through reason and intellect. Y'all following my girl Lydia? You know what we're at? Acts 16, keep going, verse 16 through 18. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days, and Paul, having become greatly annoyed. Don't you love scripture when it tells you about, about people you think are all holy, living well? And here we have the Apostle Paul getting annoyed by this little slave girl. And here's what he does. He turns and he says to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And scripture tells us it came out that very hour. So here we have our second person, the next person converted by Paul and Silas. She was a demon possessed fortune telling slave girl being forced by her owners to give fortunes and horoscopes to people for money. And you thought your past was jacked up. Think about this. Even with this demonic oppression, she finds herself following Paul and his group of people talking about, and almost like she's got a bad case of Tourette's syndrome. She's she's speaking out and telling, these people are following God. These are the men of the most high God. And it's become, her, her oppression, her bondage is becoming so distracting to what's going on in it. Paul just looks over and says, hey, be healed in the name of Jesus. And in a moment of divine power, she's born again, completely transformed by the Spirit. And I love this. So we have Lydia, who's this entrepreneurial, educated, well-to-do businesswoman, born again through reason and intellect. And then we have this girl who's an unwanted, uneducated former slave girl with no place to go, saved in a powerful demonstration of demonic deliverance. Almost as crazy as cream cheese and flaming hot Cheetos, isn't it? We're gonna keep reading. I wanna see if you can find the third person in our story. I'm just, this is the same chapter, 
These look like unrelated stories, but I promise you they're related. Acts 16, verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them to the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, in other words, the Roman authorities that were there, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. Now listen, these aren't Romans, these are Greeks, but they're mad because their welfare, their income just got delivered when this young girl got delivered. And so now they're, ple- they're pleading to the Roman authorities to get these guys in trouble. And the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus in public and it got you thrown in prison, got your clothes ripped off of you and you beaten with a rod? Probably not any times recently. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And I think that's fascinating that he would be charged to keep them safely and he goes and puts them in a torturous device that not only binds their legs but forces them to remain in an uncomfortable position while this happens. Many theologians, Albert Barnes, an American theologian, uh, is on the same train of thought. He says this, these stocks were such that it wasn't just like they had their ankles clasped together. It was a big wooden device that they were locked in and they probably made them have to lay on their back with all their bruises and all their their injuries there. This was a torturous endeavor that he put them in. And here we are, keep them safely, jailer. But instead, he tortures them. Look at this, Acts 16, 25 through 34. About midnight, in other words, while they were still in that torturous position, Paul and Silas were cussing and complaining. Is that what it says? No, that's what we would have been doing, huh? They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Who else do you think was listening that day? And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Unfastened. Now listen, there's a whole other message I'd love to preach to you on how your praise during the middle of a trial can unlock something in somebody else's life. But we'll save that for a few weeks from now. Listen, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself for we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and he washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. What an amazing story. What an amazing story. Now, this one is a little bit harder to see, but the context is all there. This jailer is this blue-collar guy with a family at home, and he probably has this job that he hates so much that he takes it out on all the prisoners entrusted to his care. He has no job security, as evidenced by the fact that he thought he was going to die for letting these, these, these prisoners 
go that were under his care. But don't miss this interaction he has with Paul and Silas. Remember, it's the jailer who comes to Paul and Silas and says in verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Him becoming born again wasn't Paul's invitation. Paul doesn't stand up in the middle of the jail and say, I'm going to invite everybody here to bow your head and close your eyes. He doesn't say, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And when you pray this prayer, you'll be born again. If you want to receive, Paul doesn't do that in this moment. This jailer is so overwhelmed by what he's experienced and what he sees. He rushes to Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? Get this. Here's this jailer, small town, Philippi. He hears the rumors. This girl was delivered. These guys were beaten and imprisoned, tortured under my care, and yet all the while they were singing and talking about this God that they serve. And when they had the option to leave and escape, they decided to stay, and they were concerned about me. This blue-collar family man in a dead-end job with no hope of a future gets born again because he's able to see another Christian live a godly life in the midst of ungodly circumstances. Wow. Are you keeping track? I'm keeping track of our people? I'm going to put them up on the screen for you. We have Lydia, a fashionista, businesswoman, born again through reason and intellect. We have an uneducated, homeless slave girl, radically delivered from demonic influence. And we have a blue-collar family man with a temper, saved because he watches two other Christians thrive in the midst of tragedy. Now, I'm not sure you get how unlikely this pairing is. So I'm going to give you a modern-day Acadiana comparison. You ready? This, this is the same as saying, I've got a yoga pants wearing River Ranch boutique owner from Lafayette, a high school dropout teenager from Generette, and a middle-aged father of two from Franklin who works at the port. All three of them recently born again, Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Talk about an unlikely pairing that happens. And it gets better. It gets better. Look at this. I'm keep going. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. You say to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and they've thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? Uh Uh-uh. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and they apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Now remember, I told you that the whole premise of unlikely pairings today were when you put separate things together, and the result is better than it was separately. Yeah, Pastor Don, we get it, but you just told us three separate stories. Did I? Let's look back at Acts 16.39, and I'll read you the next verse. It says, they took them out, and they asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison, and what they do? They visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, in other words, when they had been with the group, they encouraged them, not her, they encouraged them and departed. What do you think they did with the slave girl when she had nowhere to go? Who do you think they introduced her to? 
Where did they take the jailer and his family? Who did they go visit after leaving the prison? What was the best place for these Christians to connect, to grow, and mature in their relationship with Jesus? I'll tell you, with each other. With each other in a small group. Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke, take these three unlikely pairings and they put them in a small group. They tapped Lydia on the shoulder and they said, hey, these two are nothing like you. And apart from their relationship with Jesus, they really have nothing else in common with you, yet they need you and you need them. You guys need to go grow together. It's the word of God, it's not me. That's what the Bible says. It was Paul who would later write to the church that he started in a region not far from there called Galatia. And here's what he says in chapter three, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you were all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, look at this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Church, how are we going to continue to grow and mature? How are we going to continue to impact our city and tear down these strongholds of pride, poverty, and prejudice? I'm going to tell you, we're going to do it the same way they did it in the Bible, and we're going to do it in small groups. We're going to do it. Some of you will catch on here in just a minute. This book will change your life if you'll just do what it says. If you'll do what it says. Golf clap. Listen. Society will try to tell you that you have nothing in common with the people around you, that you can't grow together because you don't have anything in common. It's going to say, they're not like you. They watch that other news channel. They voted for that other person. They live in that other part of town. They don't even have the same skin color as you. What do you mean that you guys can come together and grow together and do life together and mature? Paul says those labels don't matter. Now that you're in Christ, the other labels no longer label you. The Christ Jesus label now labels you when you're born again. Listen. I'm not trying to build a big church. I'm trying to build big people. There's a difference. Paul doesn't build the church. He builds a small group. It's the small group that builds the church. And you got to understand what's so powerful about this. These three unlikely pairings come together in this hub city region, this unlikely place of Philippi, and they start not just a church, but a very healthy church. And this one healthy church becomes five churches, history tells us, that not just impact Philippi, but grow to impact an entire region, all from these three unlikely pairings. This yoga pants wearing, boutique and river ranch owning woman who has a call of God on her life. Teams up with somebody that everybody else counted out overlooked and said would come with nothing. Never finished anything she started at any point in her life, yet she comes face to face with Jesus who says the plan and the purpose I have for you will never end. And you don't have to worry about becoming something that somebody else wants you to be. Just become who I want you to be. And there's a man who struggles to just provide for his family 
doesn't know any other way. Thinks that if he follows Jesus, his life is going to be over. Everything he thought he was building upon would come of nothing. And yet he watches somebody go through something unimaginable, still praising and worshiping and serving God the entire time through. And he says, I don't have that in my life. I'm not even sure my life is worth hanging on to or keeping. And you mean to tell me that I could follow a Jesus and serve a God who will bring me purpose and a destiny and an eternity? And the Apostle Paul looks at each of these three individuals and he says, the same Jesus that opened your eyes, that set you free and gave you an example to watch is the same one that wants to put you together to grow in a way that you cannot grow apart from each other. And he puts them in a small group. He does. He says, the best place I could put you is not following me all around Asia and Europe. The best place I could put you is right where you're at with other people who are just like you. And God changes them. And not only does God change them, they start a church. And that church changes the city, and the church starts churches, and those churches change a region. And if you'd read your Bible as a connected story and not just a bunch of separate parts, you'll know what happens in Philippi. The Apostle Paul later makes three journeys, they call them missionary journeys, all across the region. Every time he can, he stops in Philippi. All three times. And he invests and he pours into them. And he writes a letter to the church in Philippi when he's in prison, and we know it as the book of Philippians. And here's what's impressive to know about this letter that he writes. We have it in our New Testament as a book, but it's a letter to some people that are near and dear to his heart. He's, he's writing to Lydia. He's writing to the slave girl. He's writing to this jailer who had a dead-end job. He's writing to these unlikely pairings. And in this letter, look at me, there is no theological correction whatsoever. He's not correcting anything that they're doing wrong. They're, they're, this is a diverse and a mature audience that he's writing to. There's no doctrinal issues to correct. He tells the church in Philippi, thank you for generously supporting me financially when I went to Thessalonica. Nobody else would help me, but you did. There's a maturity that exists that are there. Other pastors, other leaders that he is raising up and developing for the call of God. Guess where he sends them? To Philippi to this church that started out of this small group, that started out of these very unlikely pairings. And later, they're going to send a leader on a six-week journey to go help Paul and provide for him while he's in pair. What am I saying? The church at Philippi is healthy. And maybe during this time, judged based by what we see in the letters that Paul wrote to the other churches that he started in the regions that are surrounding, may have been the most healthy and most mature church he wrote to. And how did it start? Started in a small group with some unlikely pairings. Let me ask you a question. What would it look like? Go ahead, look around this room. Look around. These people don't look like you. 
They don't live where you live. They don't vote the way you vote. They don't read the same news that you read. You scroll through your Facebook and their Facebook, they're going to look completely different. Yet God brought you here. And I wonder what it would look like if you and the person across the aisle from you came together in a small group in the most unlikely place of New Iberia, Louisiana, and God used you to grow a church that impacted a region. Look at me, church. There's a direct correlation between your maturity and your ability to consistently do life with others who are not like you. There's a correlation that's there. I love the fact that you're gathering together with people that are the same age of you. I get it. I think that's great. What would it look like if you gathered with people who were younger than you or people who were older than you? Well, that'd make an unlikely pairing, wouldn't it? I love that you're gathering together men with men and women with women. But what if we got some couples together? What if gender was no longer an issue that separated us when we got together in our groups? What if we had small groups that looked just like this congregation in the morning? White, black, young, old, rich, poor, new to Christ, been, been born again for a long time. I'm telling you, we would change the region. We would change the region if we could do that. Can y'all do me a favor today? I want to applaud and celebrate and thank every single one who is here in the room who will be leading a group for us this, this semester. Can y'all help me celebrate and, appa- and, and applaud them? We cannot be the church God wants us to be if we didn't have people who were willing to lead the way God wanted them to lead, to open homes. Well, Pastor, you don't know my home. It can't. I'll bet you that if it's good enough for you, God will use it. And it may, you may only have one open seat on your couch. Fill it with somebody. I'm not saying you got to have 15, 20 people over your house every week. I'm saying get a couple people together and go have coffee at CC's and do life together. Because here's what I know, what we read earlier with, in Galatians. If Galatians 3, 26 through 28 is true, then the opposite is true also. Look at this. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if that's true, then the opposite is true too. If you're not in Christ, You aren't one with the sons and daughters of God. You have a different label, a label that divides you from those who are not like you. I want to invite everybody here, bow your head and close your eyes and just listen to the sound of my voice as I talk to you for a minute. Because I want to invite you to take on a new label today. The label of Christian a label that wants to come and be a part of your life and invade before every other label that has been placed upon you or that you've placed upon yourself. Jesus is talking to a very sharp religious leader and here's what he tells him. He says, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you were born again. That see the kingdom. Man, in our story today, we had three different examples of people being born again. One was born again just through reason and intellect. 
And you may be here today and you say, Pastor Don, I'm just listening to you talk and unpack this. I'm, I'm seeing the importance of Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. You, this, through the message today, God's opening my eyes. I see the kingdom. We saw an example of divine deliverance today. There may have been something that broke off of you powerfully today as we worshiped. We saw an example today of, of what it looks like, a godly example. And maybe you're here today because you witnessed a friend or a loved one thrive in the midst of a tragedy and you're wondering, how did they do that? What do they have that I don't? In all three of those cases, and maybe yours, if you're here today listening to my voice, they all have one thing in common. They've repented and they've trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I would say it this way, A, B, C, A, they admitted that their sin had separated them from a loving and holy God. And as a result of that sin, their own willful choosing, they cannot fellowship with God in eternity. They're going to spend eternity in hell apart from God, the only place where he's not. B, they believe. They believe that God sent his one and only son who lived a sinless life, who paid a debt that you and I could not pay. They believe that Jesus did it not just for them, but did it for you and I as well. And then see, they confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior, that his way is better, that his way comes first. They confess that this label of Christian goes before any label of American, non-American, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, rich, poor, young, old. And I want to ask you here today, if you're here and you see the kingdom of heaven differently and you've never prayed that prayer to be born again, it's a moment that happens once. God opens your eyes and you realize, I need a savior. And if you're here and you see it, you say, Pastor Don, I want to acknowledge what God is doing in my heart. Will you pray with me? Can you lead me in a prayer? It's not the prayer that makes you born again. It's the Holy Spirit opening your heart, spiritually rejuvenating you, bringing you to new life. This prayer just acknowledges what God is doing in this very moment. And if you're here today and you'd like me to pray with you, if you'd like to be among those we pray with today to be born again, I want to invite you right there where you're seated. I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to come to the front. I want to ask you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with. Go ahead, raise your hand. Let me see who I'm praying with today. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand. You can put your hands down. One more moment before we pray. And you say, Pastor Don, I've sat in these pews before, and I've heard you make the same appeal before, and I didn't do it. But today I'm ready. I'm ready to join those as you pray today. One last time, raise your hand before I pray. Thank you. I see your hand. Church, I'm going to invite all of us to pray this together. You can repeat it after me. Just indicative of the fact that nobody does Christianity alone. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, 
and my guilt and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's celebrate with those who are born again today.